Well, good morning. You can have a seat. Like CJ and Larry mentioned, we're in the midst of a sermon series on the seven deadly sins. The seven deadly sins came about when the third century early mothers and fathers of the church, many of whom lived in um, kind of circumstances similar to a monastery. They were away from the normal flow of community, and they lived kind of an isolated life. They realized that even though they were following all of the rules and all of the, um, their whole commitment was was after Jesus' own heart, that they still struggled with sin. And the recognition in that is that sin is something that is within us, that, that we can't fix outside of Jesus. So they listed these seven deadly sins. They're called the cardinal sins. They're kind of the top seven that everything else flows out of. And two weeks ago, Larry talked about kind of the definition of sin. It's a lack of awe for God. It's when we put our attention on other things, that's when we fall into sin. And then last week, Jesse came and he talked about the sin of pride. That's always listed first, is pride. You can imagine why. If our job, job is to focus on the awe of God, it's so easy for us to be self-focused. Our pride gets in the way. And so that's kind of the top one listed. What's interesting is today's topic, which is sloth, that's listed second. And I think sloth is really misunderstood. Uh, so we wanted to start off with a video to give you a glimpse of kind of our perception of what sloth is. <laughs> that's, our, that's our perception of sloth. We look at the animal, and we look at slow and lazy. You know, the, the word sloth, actually the animal is named after the English word sloth, and so I thought it'd be interesting to look at some of the characteristics of the sloth to see if we can figure out why their name, what, what the word means. So here's what we know about the sloth. They live in the lowland or forests of South and Central America. They're slow. You probably picked that up from the video. They only move 10% of the time, which means that algae grows on them. They are solitary animals. The only time they come together is to mate. Their coloration makes them difficult to spot, and they dig their claws in to hang from trees because it takes less energy. That's how lazy they are. I had somebody from the first service tell me that they saw a video of somebody that went to go um, rescue a sloth, and you could tell the sloth was trying to get across the street but because he was in this motion. And that was it. Like, he, they had to go rescue him because he couldn't move. They, don't, they just move that slowly. So sloth really is about laziness. And it's something that we need to pay attention to. Laziness is a big issue in our society. Did you know that Barnard did a research poll in 2013 and found that 41% of us identify ourselves as lazy? That we know that we don't do enough. We don't do the things that we should be doing. You know, if you think about it, uh, part of that may have to do with technology. I just read a report by some um, sociologists that said that they're seeing a trend where people, young people in particular, but it's going all the way up through all the ages, that they're actually scheduling themselves for fewer hours at work so they can spend time video gaming and on social networking. You know, it doesn't just stop with technology, though. If you think about it, if we don't feel like cooking, we go out to eat. If we want a cup of coffee, we go drive through McDonald's. If we want to grocery shop or Christmas shop, all we have to do is order on Amazon. We're a pretty lazy society. You know, as I was thinking about this, I was struggling a little bit, though. While I associate with some of those things, and I do, I do all of those, I drive through, I order my stuff on Amazon, I really don't think of myself as lazy. I probably wouldn't have put myself in that 41%. Part of that's because I don't ever stop moving. 
I'm very active, I'm not a big TV person. If anything, I probably pride myself in not being lazy. So it was interesting to me as I started studying a little bit more about this word sloth. You know, the English word sloth actually comes from the Greek word acidia. And acidia means lack of care. It's the idea of idleness, avoidance of activity, lack of enthusiasm, interest, or concern, a tendency to do nothing or remain unchanged. The more I studied this word acedia, the more I realized that sloth is really about lack of activity, and it's also about too much activity. It's about laziness, but it's also about busyness. If you're like me, you're wondering, well, how can that be? Those are polar opposites. Well, they're actually two sides of the same coin with one thing in common, and that's distraction. Think for a minute about driving. Did you know that every day nine people die in the United States and a thousand are injured because of what kind of driving? Distracted driving. There's two ways to be distracted when we're driving. The first is when we zone out, and it's that idea where we get 10 minutes down the road and we have no idea how we got there. That's one form of distracted driving. But the one we hear about more often right now is people on, on cell phones or eating something. It's too much activity. It's focusing on the wrong thing. So as we talk about sloth today, I really want you to keep that idea of distraction in mind. It's too little activity or too much activity, but they, what they have in common is distraction. We're focused on the wrong thing. Thought it would be helpful for us to look a little bit about, at an example of this kind of sloth, of this kind of distraction. And so I want to take us to Luke 9. We're going to look at um, passage Luke 9, 57 through 62. And let me give you a little bit of background. Jesus just finished his ministry in Galilee. He's traveling with his disciples to Jerusalem. These are the final weeks of his life. He's actually traveling to his death to his crucifixion and his resurrection. And so he knows his time is short, so he wants to use his time well. So he's spending as much time as he can talking to his disciples about what it means to be a disciple. And so as they're walking, they come across um, a region, and there's these three men that come to him and are interested in knowing what it means to follow him. So let me read our passage, and then I'm going to talk about each character in the story. And as I read this passage, I want to tell you something about the gospel writers and even about the way Jesus tells his stories. They, um, the intent is for us to put ourselves into the story as each character. So if we just read the story as if it's a distant, um, the, the, those people over there, and we don't take the time to put ourselves in the story, we're going to miss part of the significance of what it means in our lives. So I'm going to read these, and I'll have you kind of think about what's that look like for you as you insert yourself into the story. Here's our passage. As they were walking along the road, a man said to them, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Let's look at this first character for a minute. Here's this guy, walks, you know, comes across Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. Sounds great, doesn't it? Well, here's the backstory. 
the back story is that at, during that time, it was very common for people to want to follow a good teacher or a prophet. That was kind of the norm. And oftentimes, when you the person you followed, it brought you some level of economic stability, sometimes notoriety, definitely community. So this guy isn't really about following Jesus. He's about following the idea of Jesus. So Jesus replies to him, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What he's saying is, if you want to follow me, you have the wrong idea. You're not going to follow me and get the notoriety and fame and monetary benefits that you're thinking of because I'm the one that doesn't have a place to sleep. That's not what I'm about. Well, this man decides not to follow Jesus. He's distracted. He's distracted by the things that he wants. He's distracted by his desire for power and being known. It's not a bad thing that this man wanted to follow somebody and could be part of that circle. But the ultimate thing is following Jesus. And he decided that he wanted to pick the distraction of money and notoriety over Jesus himself. Can you relate to that? Are there ever times that you're following the idea of Jesus instead of following Jesus himself? It resonates for me. I think about oftentimes that I get too caught up in what I'm thinking about or the things that I need or I think I need or the things that I want or getting my house set up or doing my job and I forget that Jesus is the priority. It's an interesting thing to think about. Let's look at the second character. The second man says this, follow me. Or he said to another man, Jesus said to the other man, follow me. But this man replies, Lord, First, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Honestly, when we read this one, it sounds a little bit harsh. This guy's dad just died, and Jesus is saying, well, forget burying your father. Come and follow me. So again, it's helpful to have a little bit of background into the story. There are two possibilities with what's going on here. The first is that that term dead may actually refer to, when he's talking about my dead father, it may actually refer to the fact that his father is spiritually dead, that he doesn't have a faith, that he's wandering aimlessly. So one possibility is that this man wanted to go and spend time with his father because he, he wasn't a follower of Jesus. That's a good thing, right? The other possibility is that the man really did die, but there's this extended process of what happens when you're burying your, your, a family member during this time. It's, it's a long event. And it's always the, um, the responsibility of the oldest son in the family because part of the Torah law says that you need to honor your father and mother. And part of honoring your father and mother is to give them a proper burial. That's a good thing. So whether he was going out to talk to his father because his father didn't know Jesus or whether he was going out and, talk and burying his father and giving him a rightful burial because that was part of honoring him, those are both good things. What Jesus is saying here is that's good, but I'm better. It's not that he has a lack of compassion for this man. What he's sensing in this man's heart is that this man is more about following the rules and doing good works than he is about really following Jesus. Can we relate to that one? What about when we go and serve in the community? That's a good thing. But do we ever serve in the community because it, more, beca more because it feels good for us than because it has anything to do with following Jesus? It's a good question to ask. 
remember, this whole idea of sloth is about distractions. So where are the distractions in our lives? Let's look at the third character. The third man says this. He says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I want to talk about this second line, and then we'll go back to the first When he's talking about putting a hand to the plow, this is the idea of plowing a field. It's similar to the idea of the distracted driving. When you're plowing a field with those old plows you have to hold onto, you have to look straight ahead or your lines aren't straight. It messes up your whole crop. So what he's describing here is, you know, when you put your hand to the plow and you're constantly looking over your shoulder, you're getting distracted. And when you get distracted like that, you're missing out on the kingdom of God. What he's asked, the, the line before it when he says, I will follow you, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. This guy is distracted by two things. The first are relationships with his friends and family members. And the second are the things of his past. He's worried about making sure that everything is in right order, that he's gone back and he's made resolution with whoever he needs to before he follows Jesus. You know, this one is huge in our society where we value family over everything else. And again, it's good to value family. That's a good thing. We're called to do that. We're, we're asked to do that. But when we make family, our family relationships and our friendships and worrying about the things that we haven't taken care of in our past and we put that before Jesus, we're missing out on Jesus All three of these characters were distracted by something. The first was distracted by the power and the notoriety. The second was distracted by his good works, and the third was distracted by his relationships. In essence, what these three people are doing is what we all do. We put everything on the same playing field. We say, my work and my notoriety is equal to my good works and following the rules, is equal to um, my family and my friends, is equal to following Jesus. They're not equal. Following Jesus is up here. Everything else falls underneath it. I really like a quote that, um, what's this gentleman's name? Solomon Schimmel gives about sloth, and he says this. He said, sloth is the loss of one's spiritual moorings in life. A mooring is one of those big um, things on a dock that you tie your boat or your ship to. And what the, this idea is that when we've lost our spiritual moorings, we've decided, he's um, calling us out on the fact that we've started to tie our identity to all these other things and not to Jesus. We, die, we tie our security to our work, our family, and our good works, and we do not tie our security to Jesus. Here's the problem. This mooring over here is not strong enough to hold us. Circumstances change. Life changes. If we put all of our hope in these things, it's an empty hope. What we're called to do is we're called to tie our ships, our identity, to the mooring of Jesus. You know, when I was reading this, I got curious about this whole idea of moorings, and so what's the big deal if you don't tie your ship to the right mooring? And so I actually read a maritime accident report yesterday, and it said it emphasized the importance of keen awareness when tying up a mooring knowing that oversight, whether it's a small oversight or a big oversight, lead to devastating consequences. Here's the line that really got me. Mooring injuries come in two varieties, severe and fatal. 
we tie ourselves, our identity to these things, we have two consequences, severe and fatal. We tie our identity to Jesus, and we have one option, eternal life. We have gotten distracted. So it's dangerous. This whole idea of sloth is dangerous. You know, we could have talked about spiritual sloth where we didn't, you know, we didn't, we're not eating right, or physical, or mental sloth where we're not reading enough. But this spiritual sloth is the part that's so dangerous because it has everything to do with Jesus. And we are, when we're distracted, we're missing out. We're missing the kingdom. We're not following the call that he invited us to. So then the question is, well, what do we do about it? And I want to suggest if we go backwards in Luke, to Luke 9, 23 to 24, we get a little bit of an answer. Prior to this uh, passage that we're about to read, Jesus' disciples were saying, well, what does it mean? What does it take? What does it take to get the, um, get the kingdom of God, to inherit the kingdom of God? And here's what Jesus says. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will save it. Let me talk about one of the most important words in this whole passage right here is the word if. If is significant because we have a choice. Jesus doesn't mandate us to follow him. He invites us to follow him. So he's saying, if you choose to follow me, here are the things that I'm going to ask of you. It's really important to understand that we have a choice because there's love and freedom in choice. And because God loves us so much, he's not going to force us to follow him. He's going to invite us, but we get to choose. Then there's three things, three things that we need to do. We need to deny ourselves. we need to take up our cross, and we need to follow Jesus. Now let me pause a minute and say, we don't talk a ton about the cost of discipleship, and it's unintentional, because it's vital. It's vitally important. What we talk about, or what sometimes I think we, we as the church give the impression, is that if you follow Jesus, you're going to feel good about yourself. If you follow Jesus, your life is going to get better. If you follow Jesus, you're going to have a community of people around you. If you follow Jesus, you're going to be filled with happiness. Those things aren't real. <laughs> and, they're not, and they're not what Jesus is saying. Now, can those things happen? Absolutely. Absolutely you become part of a family. Absolutely Jesus gives us joy. Absolutely there are incredible things and we have this relationship with Jesus. But that's not the primary thing. The primary thing is that following Jesus takes sacrifice. And the question is whether or not we're willing to do it. So the first thing we need to do is self-denial. This is huge for us. Think about it. We don't have to deny ourselves anything. We do what we want when we want we very infrequently have to say no to ourselves or choose to say no to ourselves. Even when it comes to eating a piece of cake. We're not only bad at saying no to ourselves, we're bad at saying no to others. We do not practice self-denial. The shame in that is that that's the first thing, the shame meaning um, it's a shame that we don't do it, not feeling shame. It's a shame we don't do that because when we are so focused on ourselves, we miss out on the love of Christ. Jesus' message is all about loving other people. We don't love uh, fully until we take the focus off of us. Think about when you've had a hard, you know, hard week at work and you're stuck in that cycle where you're like, everything is terrible, everything is terrible, everything is terrible. And as soon as you start to focus on somebody, it's like it flip-flops everything. 
Jesus is asking us to do these things because it's a manifestation of love, not because it's supposed to be torturous for us. But the first thing we need to do is, is deny ourselves. The second thing we need to do is take up our cross. Um, Jesus was not the only person that was crucified during his time. That was, that was a normal process. It was a gruesome way to kill somebody. It was a gruesome consequence for people at that time that had been convicted of one crime or another. So this crucifixion was a, was a common thing. So even though he hadn't been crucified yet, when he said, take up your cross and follow me, his disciples knew exactly what he was asking. They may not have understood that he was about to die, but they understood what it meant to take up your cross. It meant that if they were going to follow Jesus, that, Jesus, that there was a possibility that they were going to follow him all the way to death. It's another form of self-denial. It's saying, I'm so willing to give up of myself and follow you because I trust you and I know that you're loving and I know that you're caring and I don't understand your ways, but I'm so committed to you that I'm willing to take up my cross. I don't know that we do that very often because it's hard. And we don't have to do hard because we can fix everything ourselves. Two hard things. The third, follow Jesus. Again, it's a continuation of this same idea. Deny self and follow Jesus. It's back to the plow. Stop looking away and follow me. It's the distracted driving. Put your phone down and pay attention. You know, there's a passage in 2 Peter that actually talks about this. I mean, Peter is talking to his congregation. It's a congregation of believers. It's committed Christians. And he's saying, wake up. Pay attention. I'm telling you something important. Don't get distracted. In fact, he uses the visual of somebody that's blind, and it's the idea of intentionally putting their hands over their eyes so they're not watching where they're going. We don't want to be that congregation. We don't want to be distracted. So we need to self-deny, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. There's another, there's an end of this passage that says, um, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will save it. It sounds like a little bit of a puzzle. But basically what he's saying, if, if, you want to, if you want to lose your life, then come over here to this mooring. Attach to your work and your family and your friends and your notoriety and your good works. If you want to be lost, do that. Attach yourself to that. But if you want to find life, then attach yourself to me. Attach yourself to Jesus. Because he's the one that keeps us grounded. He's the good, good father that has come to establish his kingdom. So there's some urgency in this. It's a topsy-turvy idea. You know, we talk about the kingdom being upside down. It's upside down for us because it's, it's counterintuitive at times. It seems fine. I mean, we're doing these good things. What's so bad about tying up here? But Jesus is saying, no, you're looking at the wrong thing. You got your eyes on the wrong prize. You need to come over here. So then the question becomes, well, how, how do we even... <laughs> How do we even do that? Like, what's it look like to follow Jesus? Like, how do I get the passion that the first disciples had? I mean, do you realize there was something going on in them that they heard this call and they followed it to their own death? So I think we, again, read it as this distant story, but something transformational happened in the lives of those men and women that walked Jesus' life with him firsthand, that they were willing to go to their own death afterwards. Because they knew that this was worth it. They knew that there was a pearl of great price at the end. They knew that the walk 
to the crucifixion doesn't end with the crucifixion. It ends with the resurrection. They knew that the crown of glory was awaiting them on the other side. And they knew that they could trust the father that asked them to step into this kind of discipleship because he's a loving king who's establishing his kingdom and will return again one day to complete it in its fullness. So we've got to learn from them. But how did they do it? Well, I think that there's a couple things. The first is a recognition of distraction. You know, when you're walking alongside Jesus and you're watching firsthand, these three people say, I see you, I know who you are, but no thank you. There's, there's probably some struggling and some tension within the disciples themselves where they were thinking, gosh, I wonder where I'm distracted. The first step, I think, towards really walking and getting past this idea and putting these things aside and following Jesus is to recognize and own our own distractions. Part of our sloth is we are so busy in our heads all the time that we forget to slow down enough to look at the hard things in our lives. And I think sometimes that's because our heads then create this sense of shame. But remember, there's actually freedom in looking at the sin in our lives. So the first thing we need to do individually and corporately is we need to figure out what what are the things in our lives that are keeping us from Jesus. The second thing that we need to do is we need to spend time with God. You know, if you think about a friendship or any sort of, it could be a marriage, any sort of relationship you're in, you don't get to know the person unless you're actually spending time with them. And you would never say to your spouse, you would never say, um, I'm going to go get all the junk in my life figured out first, and then I'll come over here and meet you. It might take me five, ten years. You just kind of hang. It's the same with God. He, he wants us as we are. He's not asking us to fix things. He's just asking us to spend time with him. And it's not because it, we owe him. It's because he loves us. It's because spending time with him helps us distinguish between the two moorings in our life. It's because it's a reminder. It's the chance for him to remind us how much he loves us. It's the chance for him to remind us of the hope that's ahead of us. The problem is that what I really wanted to do at first was to give you kind of a list of ideas of how to connect with God. But then I realized if I do that, then I'm just like the second guy in the story where it became a list of to-do items. So I'm not going to give you a list of things to do to connect with God. I'm going to encourage you to find the things that connect with God. At a uh, spiritual formations director a number of years ago that said something to me that was completely freeing, Because I don't do my connection with God the way that you do or you do or you do. Because we all connect with God differently. And that was kind of her point. She said, why do we think that all of our our spiritual formations need to look exactly the same when God created us uniquely? There's a whole bunch of ways to connect with God. You just need to find the one that, that works for you and resonates with you and works for your personality. But at some point, you gotta, we got to stop, and we've got to spend time with our loving Father so he can get us back on track. Martin Luther has a quote. He did some writing, and this writing, is, as I read it, um, he's speaking as if it's Jesus speaking to us. But this is through some of his own really churnings over what does it look like to not be distracted. And here's what Luther says. He says, discipleship is not limited to what you can comprehend. It must transcend all comprehension. Plunge into the deep waters beyond your own comprehension, and I will help you to comprehend even as I do. Bewilderment is the true comprehension. Not to know where you are going is the true knowledge. 
My comprehension transcends yours. Thus, Abraham went forth from his father, and not knowing whither he went, he trusted himself to my knowledge and cared not for his own, and thus he took the right road and came to his journey's end. Is that it? Thank you. Behold, that is the way of the cross. You cannot find it yourself, so you must let me lead you as though you were a blind man. Wherefore, it is not you, no man, no living creature, but I myself who instruct you by my word and spirit in the way you should go. Not the work which you choose, not the suffering you devise, but the road which is clean, contrary to all that you choose or contrive or desire. That is the road you must take. To that I call you, and in that you must be my disciple. Luther knew that there's some mystery in that relationship with God. And the mystery is what makes this so valuable, but makes this so hard. Because the mystery for us becomes uncomfortable. We feel like we need to fill that mystery with things that we can grab onto, which sometimes is why we end up getting distracted with these other really good things. But I want to encourage us to let go and, and sit in the midst of the unknown. Sit in the midst of that discovery of what it means to connect with God. You know, the last thing on how, how do we do this, how do we follow Jesus, how do we take up our cross and follow him, besides you know, recognizing that it's the distractions in our lives and spending time with God, I think it's remembering the good news. Remembering that Jesus came to give the good news of Jesus. And just because he calls us to something hard doesn't mean that the hard isn't good. It may mean that we have a misunderstanding of what good is. Good isn't necessarily about us or me. It's about we. It's, out, it's about the global big. It's about the king coming and establishing that kingdom. It's the good news that Christ came and died for our sins so that we could be reconnected with a loving God and that he's coming back again. There's a reason that the disciples talked about running the race and finding the, the pearl of great value. It's because they got a glimpse of what that love of Jesus looked like, and they're encouraging us thousands of years later to continue on in that same pursuit. The question is, are we going to step into that? In a few minutes, the worship team is going to continue, help us continue in our time of worship and while they do that, I really want us to not miss the opportunity to think about and pray about where God is interceding in our lives today. Where are we distracted? We have the chance and the privilege and the opportunity to stop for a few minutes and really think about the places that were slothful. What are those places for you? The second thing that, we need to, that I want to encourage us to think about is what do we need to do to take one step towards Jesus in helping us refocus? And we're going to have to focus, refocus over and over and over again. Think back to the car illustration. When we don't, once we're not distracted, it's not that we're never distracted, right? We're distracted every day. That's just part of being human. The goal isn't to not ever be distra distracted. The goal is to have that voice in our head, that constant reminder to put our eyes back on the road. What's that going to take for you? 
So as we join in worship in these next few minutes, I just want to invite you to pray and ask and seek God in the midst of the distractions and the places that we can moor ourselves to Jesus.